welcome. Good morning, Integrity Church. Welcome to those watching online um, and those in the back in the family room. Um, we all know what these are, right? Andy and Kathy are here. Oh my goodness. In the house. Oh, I'm now, now, oh, I'm, I'm done. I'm okay. Okay. I'm good now. Um, but we all know what these are right there, like points cards. Um, I have one in my wallet. I have a couple in my wallet. I have a couple in my key ring, you know, uh, stop and shop. I have uh, shop right. I have my gas card. I have one on my wallet now from 7-Eleven. Um, that works out really well. I, I, unfortunately, I spent a lot of money and then found out that cards weren't being used anymore. The guy didn't tell me. You know, meanwhile, I must have spent so much money. But anyway, so I... Um, I like these points cards because you get free stuff for buying stuff. And I'm always about free. If it's free, it's for me. I like that kind of stuff. And so the other day, I, uh, I, I need my phone constantly for work. Uh, I have to call the fire department. I have to call different agencies that I have to deal with. And then I have my four guys that are out in the field that I have to answer questions they have and stuff like that. So I need my phone desperately during the week. It's not like a teenage thing where I can't live without it, but I just need it. So um, I, I, I forgot it. I left it on the couch. And I forgot. And my iPad, too, which I also need for work. And so I said, um, I, I need to have the phone at least. I mean, I could plug this, the, the tablet in because I won't need that for a little while into the cigarette. And I, but I didn't have a cord. I didn't have the cord. I had the thing that went into the cigarette lighter, but I didn't have the cord, you know? So I figured, you know what? I'm going to get a cup of coffee at 7-Eleven anyway, so I might as well get a cup of coffee and a butter roll, my usual routine, and I'll get points. This is all good, right? And so I, I, I know they have them there. They're like 10 feet long. And I figure, well, when I get done with it, I'll give it to Rachel, you know, because she likes to sit on her bed and play with the phone, and it's probably half dead, and she could plug it in. So I'm thinking, this is going to be really good. And, and so I go up, and I, I, I make the purchase. I get the coffee. I get the roll. I get the cord, and I stick it on. And the guy, I give the guy my card on my phone, and he says, yeah, um, you're not going to get points for the cord, which was the ex most expensive item. Um, and you're going to get coffee. You're going to get points for the butter roll and for the coffee, but not for the cord. And why? Well, we, you only get points for. You don't get points for um, electronics, cigarettes, alcohol, or lottery tickets. So you don't get points for those. I'm like, oh, I can understand that, but at the same time, I'm like, you know what? I think I'll just go to Best Buy and buy it because I'll get points on my Best Buy card. Uh, but um, I was too late. I needed to get to where I needed to go, so I didn't do it. I, didn't, I bought it there, and I just ate it. But you know what? I've realized something. I realized that I don't do anything, pretty much, unless I can get points. You know, like I'm really points-driven. Like I'll go out of my way to go to a gas station or a store where I'm going to get points for what I buy, and if not, I almost feel like I'm getting ripped off. You know, and I don't like that, and I really will go out of my way. I found out that I get my gas for points. I get my coffee for points. I buy stuff for my Jeep for points because the website that I buy stuff gives you points for that. Um, I'm driven by the points. I'm driven by the points. And, and I will go out of my way, like I said. You know what I think? I think sometimes we think of God that way. I think that sometimes we think that God, that we do things for the points, not realizing that God doesn't keep track of points. He doesn't give out points. It's sort of like that show my daughter likes to watch, Whose Line Is It Anyway? You know, where they have these silly skits they do and they give them like massive amounts of points, but the points don't matter because there's no winning at the end. There's no points. And it's sort of like that, but yet people, including me, myself, which I'll admit to later on in the sermon, um, that occasionally we'll find ourselves doing things for the points. So what I'd like to do today is I'd like to take a look at a few people in the Bible and see whether they were points-driven or not. Let's take a look. Um, the first one is Maury's story. Now, 
For those of you who are Bible scholars, you're probably thinking, I've never heard of Maury in the Bible. Who is this guy? Well, you would refer to him as the rich young ruler, okay? And I wanted to give him a name so that there would be continuity when I talk later on. So I, I not only that, but I had a Jewish friend in school and his name was Maury, so I just used his name. Um, wherever he is today, I hope he hears a sermon, gets saved, it'd be great. Um, so anyway, um, Mark, his story is found in Mark 10, 17 through 31. And we're going to kind of take this apart. Mark 10, 17 through 31, verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, Maury ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inter eternal life? As an evangelical person, I wish every encounter I had with the unsaved went like this. You know, where they just kind of walk up and drop and, and you know, you say a prayer with them and they're done. Usually it takes a lot more convincing to get to that point. But this guy was asking the right questions right from the beginning, Okay. He says, verse 18, Jesus says, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Oh, well, that's true, right? Romans tells us that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So he's right in that, that all of us have fallen short, all of us are sinners, unless, unless you know who I am. Then you'd be right on. But if you don't know who I am, that I'm God's son, that I'm God in the flesh, then you'd be dead wrong because I'd be just like everybody else. I'd still be a sinner. Verse 19, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Hmm, that sounds, that's, that's about right. Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. <laughs> you know, I think that sounds a little arrogant, just a tad, you know? And, and yet, think of this, think of this, think of this fact that he said this to the only man who ever pulled this off. Everybody else has messed this up, all these things. Have you always obeyed? No. Have you always, did you never steal? No. We've all fallen short. So the only person that he could say this to and have, a, and that person did it, was Jesus. And yet Jesus, like, doesn't laugh or giggle a little bit? You know, no. Jesus looked at him and loved him, verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. It's sort of like, you know, those of us who are parents, when your children say something that's ridiculous and you're like, yeah, you just got to love this kid. You know, really, really seriously, you really don't believe that, do you? You know, you know you weren't perfect. You didn't follow all this through all the way. You know that, but yet he's, he's just got to love him. He says, says, the next thing he says to me, one thing you lack, one thing you lack. He said, I, I really wish Jesus would say, if Jesus was standing here, he would come up to me, go put his arm around me, go, there's only one thing you lack. I'd be like, wow, cool. Tell me what it is. I'll do it. But, you know, I mean, we all suffer with lots of things. But one thing you lack, really, I think Jesus was being kind. He said to him, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Wow, that's a lot. Give everything you have to the poor and follow me, and you will have treasure in heaven. What for? For all of my obedience, you're just going to put on more demands? How many points am I going to get for this? How many points am I going to get for this? Really? That's, that's it? You know, I did all of this, according to me, I've done all these things, and, and yet you're telling me, um, how many points do I get for that? Um, that's it? And then he really buries him, okay? He says, then come follow me. Come follow me. No points? No accolades? No title? No position? Why do anything? I'm going to follow you, the guy who sleeps on a rock, who doesn't have a home? I'm going to follow you? No, no. At this, the man's face fell, verse 22. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He had great wealth. What if, what if, you know, like Monty Hall, let's make a deal. What if, what if Jesus had said, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what. 
Let's see. I'll give you a billion points for what you've done so far, all that obedience you claim you did. I'll give you a billion points for that. And I'll give you a billion and a half if you give away all your stuff, all your treasure, all your money. If you give it all away, I'll give you a billion and a half in points. Okay? He probably would have still walked away sad because when you do things for the points, you're never satisfied. There's never enough points involved. You always feel like you're not getting a sufficient return on what you've invested. So when you do it for the points, that's the attitude you walk away with. Verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? They thought, see, they thought, and a lot of times maybe we do, they thought that richness, being rich, equals God's blessing. That if you were rich, that God's blessing you. Well, that's not necessarily true. We hear about rich people all the time that are definitely not living for God, and yet, so that's not true. And then there are people who are dirt poor that God is blessing like crazy, and we really can't judge that. And so that's something he just, he just said this. He says, how hard is it for them to enter the kingdom? They thought automatically the rich were getting in, okay? Jesus just destroyed, just blew up their theology, just blew it up on them. He's going to continue to blow it up. Verse 25, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, when I first got saved, there was, I, I read articles and books when I first got saved. I was kind of all over the place theologically. And um, so what happens is there was this Jewish guy who told this story about there's this hole in the wall in Jerusalem called the eye of the needle, and you could get the camel through the eye of the needle, um, but you have to like, take all his bags off of him, and he had to crawl really low and get him through. And basically, it was, was kind of dissing Jesus' statement. And I'm like, so I did a little research and found that that was going around for a while. But no, when Jesus said <laughs> the eye of a needle, he meant the little eye of a literal needle and a literal camel. And I guess you could get the camel through the eye of the needle. If you grind him up really fine, you could get him through there. But that's about the only way to do it. Or Star Trek, him, beam him through or something like that. That would be about the only way you could do it. Because Jesus was trying to show the impossibility of doing this to make this transition from sinner to saint without God's intervention. It's not something that man can do. There's no way it could be done. It doesn't matter if you're rich or not. So he goes on in verse 26. The disciples were even more amazed because now they're completely heads blown. Okay, Amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Like, wow, wait, if the rich aren't getting it, if the rich aren't getting in, who then can be saved? Who, who can actually get this? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is the part here, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Like we just sang, with God, all things are possible. Nothing is unlimited, nothing he can't do. Without God's intervention, no one gets saved. Rich, poor, black, white means nothing. If God does not save you, no one else can. No one else can. Verse 28. Peter said to him, we've left everything to follow you. Basically, he's asking how many points are we getting? Well, what are we getting like 5,000 points for every time we're stoned, every time we're in jail? I walked away from a good fishing career. I don't know what you're talking about. But I was doing pretty well. No, no, no. He says, You've left, we've left everything. Basically, how many points are we getting for walking away? How many points are we getting? Verse 29, Jesus is going to continue to just harp on this. Verse 29, I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel. Okay, wait, so, all right, so no one has left home 
brothers, sisters, mother, father, or children, or fields for me in the gospel. Oh, wait, wait, wait. For me in the gospel. Not the points, not the accolades, not the titles, not the fame. No, for me and the gospel. That's the only way this works. If you leave those things for the gospel, you get rewards when we get to heaven. And you will take those rewards, and what will we do with them? We will throw them before the person who earned those rewards, Jesus Christ himself. Verse 30, will fail to receive. So now this person will, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Brothers, homes, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. And with them persecution. And in the age to come, eternal life. Eternal life. Okay, now as a points person, now you're talking, now you're talking. I like this. Uh, what does it say? A hundred times as much? I'm getting, that sounds good. This sounds like a good deal to me. Except for that persecution stuff. Nobody really likes that persecution stuff. I'd rather avoid that. But it's kind of a package deal. You know, you get, you get the whole experience to go to heaven and all that stuff, but we get a little persecution, okay? Except for persecutions. Now you're getting someplace. Then verse 31 comes along. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Wait a minute. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. What do you mean? I'm supposed to give up everything and end up in last place? That's just not worth the points. It's just not worth the points. It's just not, if you're doing it for the points. Okay, now let's take a look at this other fellow, Zacchaeus. Um, he's found in Luke 19, 1 through 10. A couple of weeks ago, um, actually a couple, it was probably a month and a half ago, uh, Pastor Frank shared on these very same two people. And I'm sitting back there watching him give his sermon. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, he's going to bury my whole sermon. I have to start all over again. And, but he was coming at it from a different point of view. So I was like, good, I don't have to start over again. Because, you know, I knew I was doing this a while back and I get started early. So I'm, I'm like coming at it from a different angle. So if you've heard this guy's story, which if you've been in Sunday school at all, you know the song, a little Zacchaeus up on the tree, you know, you hold the whole thing. Verse uh, one. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. The man, a man there by the name of Zacchaeus, that's why I gave Morty a name, um, he was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. Okay, now this guy, this guy, he got rich by graft. That's what we call stealing. Uh, collecting more than was owed and then he kept it for himself and that was kind of an agreement with the Romans. Um, he was a Jew as evidenced by the fact that Jesus proclaims him as a son of Abraham but he was an enemy of the Jews because he he hurt fellow Jews, and he sided with the Romans. So they saw him as a turncoat. They didn't like him at all. Okay, verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he couldn't see because of the crowd. It's sort of like taking a child to uh, a parade. You know, you kind of put the little kids up front so they can see the parade. Or you pick them up and put them on your shoulders, and then like an hour later, you're like, oh my goodness, this hurts so much. I can't do this forever. Um, this is the same kind of thing. So he wanted to get there, and he's trying to figure out, how am I going to see him if I'm short? So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. You know, people aren't looking for Jesus. Or at least I don't think they are or they don't think they are. That's why, why? It's sort of like why atheists don't find God because they look like a thief looks for a cop, right? Their deeds are dark, Right? The Bible says their deeds are dark, and so they won't come into the light because they love darkness. They want to stay in the dark, and so they don't come to, dark, they don't come to the light. And yet Zacchaeus wasn't like that. He wanted to see Jesus. He sought him out. He went out of his way to see him. Verse 5, when Jesus reached that spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house tonight. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now, I think this is great. Jesus knew exactly where to find him. 
He knew exactly every detail of his life, just like he knows about ours, okay? I find that very comforting to think that if I'm up in tree, Jesus knows I'm there. And I find myself up in trees a few times a year, and it's really nice to know that all I have to do is reach up, and he's right there. The Bible says he's closer than a brother, right? So all I have to do is pray and reach out to him, and he's right there. He never leaves me nor forsakes me. Verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he is gone to be a guest of a sinner. Again, they did not like this guy. This guy was a thief. They wanted nothing to him. But what did, but what did they happen in verse 8? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, look, Lord, here and now, this moment, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay him back four times the amount. Now, here is Jesus didn't tell Morty anything. He didn't tell him what to do. Uh, he told him, uh, actually, he told him what to do. He told him to give it to the poor and who to give it to, how much and who to give it to. Give it all and give it to the poor, okay? And here it is, Zacchaeus doesn't get any instruction. He doesn't get told at all. When you do things for the points, you don't need any instruction, right? You don't need to be told. And then he gave four times the amount. He gave four times the amount. Now, I didn't get to check the math on this, but um, if, he only, if he had to give only an eight, a fifth of what he stole, let's say he stole $100, He'd only have to give back $120 in order to be right with God to settle that account, adding a fifth. But instead, he gave back four times the amount, more than what was required. Think about this. That means if this guy stole from you $400, stole from you $100, he, had to give you, he gave you $400 back. Hey, you know what? If somebody did that to me, I'd be like, yeah, sure. Hey, we're pals. You're forgiven. No problem. But the debt is paid in full. No problem. Because, I mean, think about that. That's a, a really good return. And so he's giving him, giving him back 400, 400%. He's giving 4%. Um, then Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to save and to seek what was lost. Jesus confirms him as a Jew by calling him a son of Abraham and you could tell that Zacchaeus wasn't doing it for the points because no one had to tell him what to do. When you're, anything that he knew in his heart what to do, he knew what in his heart what to do. When you're on no points driven, you don't have to be told what to do. You give because it brings you joy, right? It brings you happiness. You serve because it makes you feel good. We all love that when we serve somebody and we help somebody, right? You love because God is love. You do nothing for the points. Be a Zacchaeus and not a Morty. Now, you'd think my sermon's ended, but it's not. Um, a few months back, um, my whole family got COVID. My whole family, everybody in the house got COVID. And you know what? It started with Rachel, not blame or, you know, or anything. It's just the way it worked out. And then, you know, Rachel got it, then I got it, then Dory got it, then Nicholas got it. We all got sick. And, and it was pretty nasty. I didn't enjoy it at all. It wasn't fun at all. And when Dory was hospitalized, I really needed the help. She was in the hospital for five days, and I was like, you know, how many hot dogs can you eat? You know, I mean, this is getting ridiculous. Um, and so people from our church brought us food. They brought us food. Um, they gave us gift cards. Uh, they sent us checks. They gave us medical advice over the phone. Um, and I was just so moved with gratitude and thanks. I remember sitting there eating this turkey soup that somebody made and literally crying in the soup, not because the soup was bad, but just because it was just, you know, I'm, I'm just overwhelmed that these people care so much, that they did so much. And, and I was like, 
this I've never experienced before. I've been on the receiving end a few times, but it was all minor, and I've been on the giving side of it, but this was the first time I've ever experienced this like this. It was really powerful. And so we decided, um, the love and the gratitude we felt was just overwhelming. I remember sitting there just blown away. Dory and I decided to send cards to all the people who helped us for those three weeks. We decided to send cards, thank you cards. And what I did was when people sent us stuff, I wrote down what they sent us, whether it was good or bad, you know, no, I just wrote it down. And, and, and then who gave it to us, right? And I thought, wow, okay, so, you know, and I wrote this whole list and I said, all right, this way, when you get a card for thanking you for the lasagna or whatever you made for us, that you're like, wait, I didn't make lasagna, I made turkey soup, what's he talking about? You know, this way it was all squared away, you know? And so we had this list and we sent out cards to everybody. Uh, we also decided that other than the cards, not to mention anything to the people who gave us the food. So in other words, if you gave us a check or you gave us gift cards or you gave us food, I didn't walk up to you during church and say, hey, thanks for the food, thanks for the gift cards. So I didn't want anybody to know you did that. I don't want to rob you of your blessing. So I didn't want to do that. Um, I feel, you know, I come up with my own theological position sometimes, which can get a little scary. Um, I, felt, I feel very strongly that the less people down here know what you did, the greater impact it has up there, right? I think that. And you know what? Scripture backs me up on this. Matthew 6, 1 through 4 says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness. Why do we have to be careful? Because it's very easy to let people know what you did. It's very easy to fall into that trap. Be careful not to let your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Not a good investment. Keep it on the down low. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. They love to do that. Why? Because they want to be seen. And on the streets, I guess they did this in the street too. Um, and in the streets to be honored by men. What was their motivation for doing anything? To be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Bad investment. Don't want to do that. But when you give, now this is the right way to give. But when you give, and you should give by the way. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Do not. Like there's a wall between them so that one doesn't know what the other one's doing. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Verse 4. So that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you openly. Think about that. That when you're walking here in the morning and no one's out in the parking lot and you see that little scrap of paper and you bend over to pick it up and you throw it in the garbage, God saw that. Nobody else did, but God saw that. God sees when you do those good things that no one else sees. And I always keep that in mind because sometimes I do stuff covertly and I don't tell anybody I did it, but I just do it. And, and I know that God knows I did it and I don't tell anybody I did it because that way I know he sees. And the other scary part of that, when I first got saved, I thought, wait a minute, he sees what's done in secret? Oh my goodness, all those thoughts, all those things that were bad that I did, he saw all those things too and yet he still forgives me and he still loves me? That blows me away. That smokes me. So, if you were one of the folks that reached out to my family, I thank you. I pray that God will bless you in, the, in a way that only he can, okay? I'd like to think the folks who reached out to us were not doing it for the points. I'd like to think so. Because if they were, they would be very disappointed in the way I handled it. Um, they, I didn't give a list of names to Pastor Tony. I didn't take that piece of paper and send it to Pastor Tony. Look at all these people who reached out to me. They took care of us. I didn't do that at all. Um, I didn't bring up your name at an elders meeting and say, oh, this guy's so great, man. He, I mean, turkey soup. This guy's really good with the turkey soup. Um, I, I like the turkey soup, by the way, just that's why I'm beating on it. In case you're out there and you made it for us, you could just send it back again. But it was really good. Um, I, didn't give, I didn't give it at an elders meeting. 
In fact, nobody but Dory, me, and God knows who did what for us. Nobody knows. I didn't tell anybody. Okay? Now, if you're into the points thing, <laughs> if you're the opposite, if you're into the points thing, you would have rather I thanked you on Facebook or Instagram. You know, took a picture of this lovely turkey soup I'm having for dinner. Thanks to so-and-so. You know, and then what would you get for that? Zero. Nothing. You'd get nothing for that. And then, and then he handed it. I was very disappointed the way I handled it. Uh, I didn't give a list of names to Pastor Iyer. I talked about that. What am I doing? Um, Facebook. And I brought up your name right now, right? Like if I said, oh, you know, Andy cooked me this excellent turkey dinner, you know, whatever. No, if I did that, Andy would get nothing for the effort that he put in, and I don't want to rob you of that. Again, we are to do our works of righteousness in such a way that nobody sees them, okay? The last person I want to talk about from the Bible in Scripture is Jesus. Now, did he do it for the points? Did he do it for the points? What was his the reason? I know the Bible says that, he, that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. You know, I know that. But brass tacks, what did he really do it for? He took upon himself the full weight of all the sins of mankind. Not, once was, not one ounce was left over. He took our sins and paid a debt even though he owed nothing. He owed nothing. Now, I heard this story at a pastor's conference, a church I used to go to. I, I wasn't a pastor, but they would invite me to go, I guess because they saw potential in me, and they wanted me to go. And so I'd go to these pastor's conferences. They were down at uh, Sandy Cove, which is really nice, by the way. Uh, we went down there, and they, they were really good. And I don't know who told the story, but there was this pastor, and he told this story about um, he was at a, um, at a sermon, and in the sermon they were talking about throwing off every weight of sin that so easily besets us, okay? That was the focus of the sermon. And so what happened is um, they, all these people repented of things, repented of things they wanted to get rid of. And so what they did was they organized a bonfire the next night. We're going to have this big bonfire, okay? And the idea was that you were to throw out anything that um, was sinful, whether it be music, books, um, clothing, um, things like that, that they felt that these people repented of and wanted to get rid of, okay? And it was a chance to get rid of it all, a clean slate kind of thing. And so um, he says, you know, so they go to this sermon. They're all moved by this. The next day, they're going to have the bonfire. And this one guy says to his best friend, he says, hey, you know, I can't make it to this bonfire thing because, like, I got a previous engagement. I can't be there. Could you do me a favor? Could you get rid of my porn collection? Hmm, okay, I guess. So he says, it's in the closet in my dorm. It's a box. So this is a big box about the size of a TV box full of porn magazines. So he drags it down to the fire and he starts throwing in the magazines, you know, into the fire. And everyone standing around was like, look at him throw these magazines. like, who knew you know, that you were dealing with this? Who knew this was your, your issue, you know, your thing? You know, everybody else is throwing in books or whatever. This guy's throwing in magazines and I've got a lot of them. And it's like, uh, like, really? Who knew? But he kept saying, he kept saying over and over again with each magazine, he said, it's not mine. It's not mine. Signifying that this wasn't his sin. This is not mine. This is not mine. So picture Jesus hanging up there on the cross, nailed to that cross naked. And all of our sin and your sin, my sin, being poured out upon him. And at no point did he say, it's not mine. It's not mine. At no point did he say that. He still doesn't say it now. He doesn't say it's not mine, it's not mine. There's no way that Jesus was doing this for the points. But if he was, he would have said it was worth every single one of them for us to redeem us. It's been said that if, if you were the only one, he still would have done it, okay? 
So how do you know if you're doing something for the points or not? How do you know? Let's take a look. Let's have a little quiz here. Um, let's see what we learned from Zach and Morty. One, if you want lots of people to know you did it, it's for the points. If you think of ways to advertise what you did, it's for the points. If you get upset that you didn't get thanked appropriately, you did it for the points. Do nothing for the points. Do nothing for the points. It's just not worth it. I found in my life, if you love what you do, you will do it out of love. If you hate what you do, you'll just hate doing it. That's it. Do nothing for the points. Um, this is where I'm going to get a little, um, you know, self, in, you know, like, I don't know what word to use. Um, when I first became a pastor here, I would text Pastor Tony. I would get my phone at the end of every night. I would text Pastor Tony, and I would tell him all the things I did in the office while I was here. You know, what I cleaned up, if I cleaned up a mess, if I ran a wire, if I helped Pastor Tom, if I, took, I made phone calls. That's usually what I do is I make phone calls. And, and, and I wouldn't give him the details of the phone call, just so you know, if I had a conversation with you like that. I would just tell him that I called you, just so that, hey, I encouraged this so-and-so, I called this person, I called this, and that he knew that I was doing this. And I, I thought in my head, it's because I wanted to be accountable, but then I prayed, <laughs> and it's amazing that God will sometimes, as Andy would say, brings you to the woodshed, you know, like, oh, yeah, that's not the real reason, buddy. You know that's not going to work, okay? No, the reason I wanted him to know was that I wanted him to know so I would get the points, so that he would know what I was doing, because you know what? He's not going to see half of the things I do, and I wanted him to know for the hours that I spend here that I was doing something, you know? And that I, I wanted to be, you know, really said I wanted to be accountable. Really, it was just I wanted the points. So now I don't do that at all. I don't do that at all. If I do something, I don't tell him. I, I don't send him text messages anymore. I don't tell him. I just do the things I'm supposed to do. Because you know what? It's like that, um, remember that Hebrew national commercial? Remember? We answer to a higher authority. You know, when they, they're saying they're not going to put junk in their hot dogs because they've got to answer to God. You know, they have, they're kosher, so you can't put certain things into the hot dogs. So they're saying, hey, you know, I'm the same way. I feel I answer to a higher authority. I don't answer to him as much as I, I do. If he gives me a list of things, by the way, if he says, I need you to call these five people for a meeting, or I need you to take care of this, or I need you to do, run this wire or whatever, um, I'll tell him, yes, that is done it is finished, or I ran into a snag or whatever. Um, but I don't report to him anymore because all he would write at the end of this long list of things, he would say, thank you. That was it. <laughs> like, was that worth the points? Really, seriously? You did all that for a, thank you? No. So I learned very easily, God takes me to the woodshed and says, that's not why you're doing it. You were doing it for the points. So that's what this sermon was pretty much all about. But I'm not done yet. I do nothing for the points. God does not count the points. What if I were to tell you that no matter what you did for God or his people, you got no points for doing it in God's eyes. You got no points. You got rewards. I'll give you that. You get rewards. And what are we going to do with those rewards? According to Revelation, we're going to take those rewards and we're going to throw them to Jesus. You know, and he's the one who earned all those rewards, not us. He used us in the process, but he earns those rewards. And I, I want to be able to have lots of rewards to throw. I don't want to be like, you know, two or three things. You know, come on, that's lame. I want to be, I'm going to be like, boom, throwing stuff like crazy. Okay. But that's what he did. So I think when I get to, I don't think that when I get to heaven, 
okay? There's gonna be a billboard. You know when I go to the gas station, it, you pull in your card, it says, welcome, Dominic, you have 150,000 points or whatever. I wish it said that, it's more like 5,000 points. But it's like you have these points. And I don't think when I get to heaven, it's gonna be this huge billboard that says, welcome to heaven, Dominic, you've got a gazillion points. No, I'm not gonna see that. No, that's not gonna happen. And then, whoa, here's the poor, poor guy who died on the cross next to Jesus. How long did he live after he got saved, right? Maybe an hour. He didn't get to witness. He didn't get to tithe. He didn't get to do anything. And yet, he's going to look and say, what, a thousand points? That's all I got? Man, that's kind of lame. But no, 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 no. No, it doesn't matter how long you believed or how long you served. There are no points to be earned because Jesus earned all the points we will ever need. There are no points. There are no points anymore. You're not getting points anyway. He sees the love. He sees the compassion. He knows why you do what you do better than you do. When you do stuff, you don't, sometimes don't know really why you're doing it. Okay, sometimes you're doing it for the point. Sometimes you're doing it so somebody will see you doing it. Sometimes you do it because you feel it's your job. I'm going to address that later. Um, sometimes you just do it. So you know what? If you found out today that you're on a points trip, I've got one word for you. Stop. Stop. Just stop. If you find yourself doing things for the points, just stop and think, what did Jesus do for you? Hebrews 12.2 says, let us fix our eyes. It means focus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. He didn't appreciate that. And he sat down at the right hand of God. When it says, Fix your eyes, fix your eyes. I'm into astronomy and I use my telescope. And you look out, you go out in my backyard and you can see stars. And you'll see this little dot, it seems kind of bright. And you're like, wow, it looks brighter than the rest. And you're like, oh, it's just a star. But if you magnify it, if you put it through my telescope, you'll see it's Venus. And you'll see all the moons around Venus. Because when you magnify something, you make it bigger. And so we are to magnify the Lord. We are to make him bigger. And so we have to fix our eyes on him. It's sort of like if you've ever been in the city, and I don't know if they still do this anymore with the horses. Do they still do the horse carriage rides? Where they have these blinders on the horses, right? And the reason why they do that is to keep the eyes of the horse fixed on what's in front of them and not on what's aside. Otherwise, the car horns, the flashing lights, all that stuff would distract the horse. No, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I found this really great... Um, um, quote by C.T. Studd. Actually, um, Alistair Begg, who I listened to in the morning, a shameless plug for him. Um, uh, I listened to him in the morning and he quoted this and I, I got a piece of it enough that I could find it. So I'd like to share it with you today. Let me get some water so I can... Okay. If Jesus Christ is God, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Let us not glide through this world, just kind of glide through this world, and then slip quietly into heaven without blowing the trumpet of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, loud and long. Let us see to it that the devil will hold a thanksgiving service in hell when we, he gets the news of our departure from the field of battle. That on the day you die, Satan has a party because you're not thwarting his kingdom. You're not fighting him anymore. When that happens, that's going to be a great day, right? Um, I was sharing this with the deacons, um, that, the new deacons. We were meeting together, and I, I shared this with them. And I'd like to share it with you. Um, 
And to think about it this way, no matter what God calls you to, don't treat it like a job, okay? No matter what it is. And remember, no ministry he could, that we could do for him is equal to the ministry that he did for us, okay? It's called a ministry. I, I kind of got this at a, uh, I was in a Methodist church. I work in a lot of churches doing their fire alarms. And I saw this on a bulletin board and it said anonymous so there's nobody to give credit to other than that's where I found it. Okay, I'm gonna read it to you. If you're doing it because no one else will, it's a job. If you're doing it to serve God, it's a ministry. If you're doing it just well enough, just well enough to get by, it's a job. If you're doing it to the best of your ability, it's a ministry. If it doesn't interfere with your other activities, in other words, it just doesn't cause you any pain, it's a job. If you're committed to it, it's a ministry. If you quit because no one praised or thanked you, it was a job. If you stayed with it when no one else noticed, it was a ministry. It's hard to get excited about a job. It's almost impossible not to get excited about a ministry. If you're involved in a ministry, you love doing it. I love this. This is like the best high I'll ever have. This is great, okay? And serving other people is awesome. Once you get a taste of that, you'll love it. People may say, well done when you do your job, but God will say, well done when you complete your ministry. If God calls you to a ministry, for heaven's sake, literally, don't treat it like a job. Don't treat it like a job. If you have a job in the church, quit. Give up and get a ministry. Give it up and get a ministry. God doesn't want us to be, feel stuck in a job, but excited, fulfilled, and thankful for our special ministry. So think about this. Okay, think of it like the scales of justice, you know, that lady with the, you know, with the scarf over her ear so she can't see. Okay, the scales of justice, okay. On one side is the cross. The other side is, okay, um, teaching Sunday school. Yeah. Okay? Um, cleaning up the bagel mess. Shameless plug for help doing that. You know. uh, balance, right? Shoveling snow, something I used to do. You know? Balance, right? Anything that Jesus asked us to do is in no way compares to what he did for us. So there's nothing that he could ask us to do that would be too much in return. You know, and so when you're, when you're doing your works, when you're doing things around, don't do it for the points. Do it because God enabled you, God empowered you, and God called you to it. And then do it with, with vigor, do it with energy, do it with excitement, everything we do. So that when the, right, it says, when I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself, right? That's the idea. So when people come into our church who don't know Christ, they're gonna see the love that we have for one another. That's the proof that we love God and that we love each other, right? And they see those things. That's how we get to this point where we're not doing it for the points anymore. Because you know what? When you're doing it for the points, you're gonna find it's really not worth what you put in. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for giving us your word, Father, that speaks to us so eloquently and so um, down to earth, Lord, from these, these stories of these people, we can glean so much uh, of how we should live, Father. And so I pray that uh, as we leave this place and as we serve the rest of this day, Lord, that we would be the kind of people who are not doing it for the points, Lord, that we know that you love us, Lord, and that we do everything we do out of love for you and, and not so much for the accolades, the titles, or any of those other things, Lord, that we would self-examine ourselves every once in a while and see if we are truly doing things for the points or are we doing them because we love you and are they flowing out of a love relationship we have for you, Father. And we just pray that you bless the rest of our time together and bless those that are gonna be partaking of bagels later. In Jesus' name, amen.